You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. And this is just me, Ed Carr, speaking as an investor personally. You know, I'm much more of the of the theory that, you know, I like having all of my eggs in one basket and I watch that basket really closely. So I don't go out and invest in 50 or 100 companies to try and diversify. There are no bonds in my portfolio. I'm an equity guy. I want the risk of equities. I understand the risks. I like to get in early stage. I like to know a lot about the companies, the management, the products that I'm uh, projects of the companies I'm involved in. And then I watch them very, very closely. And I think that's a good recipe for uh, creating wealth over the long term. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers, your host. And joining me today is Ed Carr. And if you've been listening to this show for uh, many years, you'll know that in 2019, U.S. Gold Corp was a sponsor of the show. I also visited the projects there in Nevada. And Ed is the founder of U.S. Gold Corp. He's uh, serving as a different role, I uh, believe, as an advisor right now, formerly the executive chairman. So at the end of this interview, I'm going to ask him about about U.S. Gold Corp., but that's not the focus. I was having a recent conversation with Ed, and because he's an entrepreneur and founder and investor in the sector, I said to myself, uh, you know, he offers a unique perspective. He's not from Vancouver. He's an American, but he's also worked out of Switzerland, so he can see mining from Switzerland, New York, and understands how the Vancouver game is played as well. So I said, Ed, would you come on my show? Can I ask you some questions so that we can uh, share some of the behind the scenes conversations that people like me that get to talk to people like you uh, learn and glean just so that the, the average retail investor can hear a behind the scenes conversation with an executive. So with that, Ed, welcome back onto the show. Bill, thanks so much. Great to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. So let's start a little bit uh, with your background. How did you find your way into being a mining entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, my background, Bill, I think, as you know, I come out of the financial side of the business. So I cut my teeth on Wall Street in New York City with one of the big American brokerage firms, one of the big wirehouses. And then I had an opportunity in the, uh, in the mid-1990s to move over to Europe to uh, run an investment bank there. I did that. I've been in Switzerland for the last you know, 23, 24 years, something like that. And um, I really got into this sector financing some uh, smaller companies, some smaller opportunities way back when in the 1990s. And I tell you, Bill, what, what originally attracted me specifically to the natural resource sector was the cyclicality, you know, the cyclical nature of this industry, the booms and busts, when these stocks, when this industry runs, it can really run. And this is an industry, you know, if you can get your timing right, you can make 10, 20, 30x your return. And um, so that was very, very intriguing. I like that a lot. Got into some initial, you know, private placements and early stage companies. Some of them worked. A lot did not work out. So, uh, you know, I've had a lot of a uh, lot of education along the way. So would you say the majority of your wealth has come from resource speculation? Uh, it's definitely come from speculation. Um, I wouldn't say I'm not just resource agnostic. So 
I look at everything and I will look at a number of different sectors, you know, whether it's uh, biotechnology, you know, there's been times when they were really running technology. You remember, obviously, the uh, the dot com boom of the of the late 1990s. I mean, every, anything with a dot com name in it, it just seemed to go parabolic and make a lot of money. So looking at these different sectors, you got to see when the timing is correct. And if you get that right, you can potentially make some money. So I'm speculating with a large percentage of my net worth right now. And I've been told by people that are a little further down the road than me that said, well, Bill, once you have some success, you're going to take a much smaller percentage of your net worth to speculate in the future. Have you seen that uh, progression in your own uh, investing career? Look, I'll tell you, I, I think that this idea, this concept, Bill, of like diversification, to me, that's a myth that the Wall Street, Bay Street, you know, retail money ma money managers will sell retail clients. Ooh, you have to have diversification. Have 60% stocks and 40% bonds, maybe a little bit of cash. And in your stock, you need some big blue chips. And, you know, they're just doing that to justify their, whatever they're charging you, 1%, you know, annual uh, management fee. Personally, I don't believe in that as all, at all. And what happened in the financial service industry, when I first got Bill in the financial services industry, the internet didn't exist. You know, I'm kind of dating myself, but you know, that's why brokers were pretty valuable and powerful. Our clients called us and they'd ask us, you know, hey, what's the stock quote on Newmont Mining? And they didn't have real-time quotes. And then guess what happened? The internet came, there was the you know, democratization of information. And all of a sudden, my clients started to become smarter than me. They'd call me up and they'd say like, hey, wow, did you see that Cisco didn't meet the number? They didn't meet their earnings. And I'm like going to my Bloomberg trying to type it up. Oh, they didn't. I didn't even look at that. And so now retail investors have all of the information at their fingertips. So back to diversification, I've never been a fan. And this is just me, Ed Carr, speaking as an investor personally. You know, I'm much more of the of the theory that, you know, I like having all of my eggs in one basket and I watch that basket really closely. So I don't go out and invest in 50 or 100 companies to try and diversify. There are no bonds in my portfolio. I'm an equity guy. I want the risk of equities. I understand the risks. I like to get in early stage. I like to know a lot about the companies, the management, the products that I'm uh, projects of the companies I'm involved in. And then I watch them very, very closely. And I think that's a good recipe for uh, creating wealth over the long term. And that goes for not just resource stocks, but whatever you're in, right? Every sector. Every sector. And what's nice about kind of the small cap industry is, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's uh, biotechnology, whether it's, uh, oh, look, these cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and blockchain companies are really running the last couple of years. Well, if it's a small cap company, let's say under $500 million market cap, you can usually as a retail investor call or email the management team. And guess what? They will respond back to you. I don't know, Bill, have you ever tried emailing Tim Cook? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's not going to return your phone call or Apple. You know, he might return the phone call of the Fidelity Select technology manager that runs three trillion dollars, you know, of course, or BlackRock. He's not going to return Ed Carr's email. So how can I add a lot of value in my portfolio by buying Apple computer? You know, OK, I know they sell a lot of iPhones, but it's 
probably not a stock that you're going to see personally in my portfolio. So you've brought up something that we talk about on the show, and I learned this from Rick Rowe, where he talks about a knowledge arbitrage. He said he's been able to make a lot of money in the resource sector because the quality of his competition is so low. So you brought up when you were a broker that your clients were bringing information to you because of the democratization of knowledge that came with the internet. So do you really believe retail investors can be successful? Because one of the themes on this show we've also talked about is that insiders and people behind the scenes with that are connected relationally have access to better deals. Can you talk about that balance? Yes, retail may get information from the internet, but maybe they don't have access to the best deals. Yeah. And look, I think that that's definitely a true statement. So the number one thing is a retail investor, you know, do the work, do the work. Everyone wants to get rich overnight. Everyone wants to be on the seed round of Uber or Facebook and put in $10,000. And all of a sudden, a couple of years later, you're a billionaire. It's very, very, very uncommon. You know, real wealth is created through hard work discipline and patience over the long term. So if you do the work, if you start looking in, and let's say like your subscribers bill, specifically looking at the natural resource sector, there are so many uncovered opportunities out in that sector. Now, do guys like Rick Rule, who's been doing this for 50 years and is one of the granddaddies of the industry, have a better network of probably early stage deals, brokers, and private placements than the average retail investor? Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. But that doesn't mean that you can't get in. And even if you know these sophisticated, accredited investors are getting into the early stage private placements, maybe they're getting the, the 10 cent stock with a five-year warrant at 10 cents, you know, that stock's probably still got tremendous upside potential. So maybe you can buy that in the open market at 13 cents, 14 cents when they're doing their 10 cent deal. And you wonder, you know, most likely a guy like a, a Rick Rule, a Doug Casey, these big guys in the industry, they're not coming into a private placement to make a 20% return. You know, these are guys that make five, 10x on their money. At least that's the potential off that speculation. And maybe a lot of those companies become a zero. You know, that's okay too. But you know, you mentioned Bill, look at the look at what the insiders are doing. Follow the smart money. You know, look at the deals that they're investing in. Look at like insider buying in companies. If the insiders, the management team is out there putting their own hard after-tax dollars to work, either in a placement or buying stock out of the market, that's like the best vote of confidence a retail investor can have in the company. You mentioned seed rounds. One of the things we pointed out on this show is that you have to research what the founders and managers paid themselves because in the Vancouver game, as you know, you can issue fractional fractional penny shares, and then they IPO at 50 cents, a dollar. So the retail advantage investor is at such a great disadvantage. What can you share with us about your take on what's appropriate compensation? Because you have founded companies for a founder of a, um, a junior miner. Yeah. And look, most almost every publicly traded company, when you look at corporate governance, they will have a compensation committee. Uh, all the time, the chair of the compensation committee is an independent director. That compensation committee is comprised of independent directors, and they have a fiduciary responsibility to go out and look at that executive compensation. You benchmark it compared to you know a peer group of comparables within the industry. So someone who's you know a publicly traded CEO like Tim Cook running Apple is going to have a much higher compensation package than you know 
know, a CEO of a $10 million Canadian junior. But when you go out and you compare, you know, those compensation packages to your peer group, ultimately you can find a, a median, a mean that becomes pretty fair basis. And the compensation committee usually does that every year. So there are independent reports. A lot of times those can come, those can become available to outside investors. And you can ask the publicly traded company to see those. So of all the CEOs I've in, uh, emailed when I first reached out, you were one of the most responsive. I remember when I emailed you, I think it was like in May on Memorial Day of 2018, you emailed me right back. We actually talked later that day on a holiday. And uh, I'm bringing that up to say, I've encouraged through a previous monologue on this podcast, my listeners to begin to reach out to CEOs after they've prepared themselves to ask the questions, if they're generally interested in the company. Could you share from a CEO's perspective for the average retail investor that's looking to learn and get connected, how do you receive, how do you view a well-prepared retail investor reaching out to you as an executive? Look, I, I think there is nothing more rewarding and engaging for any publicly traded executive you know, to talk about their company. They're all entrepreneurs or else they wouldn't be doing this. They'd go have a job with Barrick or Newmont, you know, some of the big majors, make a hundred grand a year and get a shiny new pickup truck to drive around the Nevada desert. No, we're trying to go for, you know, the big discovery and build a company. So when a retail investor reaches out, it's a wonderful opportunity. But I'll tell you, Bill, it's so underutilized. And I don't know why. Um, I, I did for, for US Gold Corp, you know, for years, I did a weekly webinar. We'd host a weekly webinar. I would talk about the company, run through the PowerPoint. We'd have Q&A at the end. And then I'd tell everyone, look, we highly encourage people to reach out to us, contact management directly. And maybe we would get one email a month it would be highly unusual to get a phone call. Uh, it's just the way it is. You know, I don't know why retail investors, maybe they think that these, you know, CEOs are corporate titans and it's as difficult to, to get them as, you know, Tim Cook, but it's not, you know, it's a, this is a really underutilized resource, the small cap CEOs, and it doesn't have to be the CEO, it could be a board member, could be a vice president, could be the geologist, the head of exploration, whatever it is, but it's a huge resource. And trust me, those people are very, very generous with their time. You know, it'd be nothing to have a half hour or an hour long phone call um, with someone on a management team to learn more about the industry, learn more about the company. And come on, everyone in this industry, I think we all have egos. We all love to talk about <laughs> ourselves, our companies and our projects. Well, I should let you talk about your company now since you gave me the time and shared your insights with my audience. I didn't ask you before we hit record what role you're playing, but I understand it's no longer the executive chairman with US Gold Corp, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So I recently did step down um, as executive chairman and trying to, uh, let's just say, Bill, maybe make way in the future for a more mining industry seasoned executive, executive chairman. So we do have kind of that seat, that role open now. Um, and our, our company at U.S. Gold Corp, it really fundamentally changed August of last year. That's when we brought on, I hired George B. as the president, and uh, then I passed the, uh, the CEO baton to him. So George B. is now the president, CEO, and chairman. And George, Bill, as you know, you know, 
know, mining industry, real veteran, 40-year career, 16 years with Barrick Gold as a major senior executive. I mean, come on, George B. was the was the mine manager of Gold Strike, one of the biggest mines in Nevada that really made Barrick what it is. He's put some of his biggest projects around the world into production. And George absolutely loves our CK Gold project in Wyoming. We're driving forward very aggressively uh, with that project right now. We hope to have the pre-feasibility study out by June of this year, so just in a couple months. I think it's going to be really, really robust, and uh, you know, the whole company will have a potential valuation re-rating once that document comes out to market. And then you have two projects in Nevada. I've been to both. And those are, you're hunting in elephant country there with those uh, drill plays, right? We are. You know, we're on two of the premier, most world-famous gold trends in Nevada. Uh, Keystone that you've been to on the Cortez trend, you know, just south of uh, that barrack complex of Cortez Hills pipeline. It's really the Nevada gold mines joint venture now. You got Gold Rush going into production, you know, ET Blue, Four Mile Discoveries, very, very prolific area. And then we have Maggie Creek on the Carlin trend, literally right next door to Newmont's Gold Quarry. And we are drilling, Bill, right now. Ken Coleman is on Maggie Creek claims today, literally as we speak, right now. Now. We got a drill rig out there. We're drilling a deeper uh, sulfide target. And man, if we can hit a discovery, you know how tight our share structure is at US Gold Corp. Just 7 million shares of common outstanding. So, uh, you know, there'll be real, real upside potential. And one more point that I always loved about the company is you're on the NASDAQ. So it's a major exchange. You have a great name, US Gold Corp. So if you hit something and, and if gold takes off, you know, that's going to be a ticker symbol that people are going to run to USAU, right? Yeah, I really hope so. You know, I really do. And I, I believe that, you know, the gold industry, the junior exploration industry is really setting up, Bill, for a big potential second half of 2021. I mean, look at the situation we're in today. CPI was just announced this morning. It was expected at half a percent, came in at 0.6%, so above expectations. So guess what? Inflation is starting to build. And Jerome Powell has come out and told us, you know, US GDP growth is forecast the second half of 6%. Wow, that's some rocking GDP growth for the U.S. economy, 6%. And that's because of the vac vaccinations that are happening. We're getting through COVID. You know, everyone is pent up. We haven't gone out to a restaurant. We haven't been to Disney World. We haven't taken the vacation or seen the family. So people want to go, man. We're Americans. We want to get out there and get it done and go to a restaurant, a ball game, and a concert. So I think the GDP growth could even come in higher than 6%. The other thing, Bill, that you know, Biden administration has now announced a $2.2 trillion infrastructure program. I mean, it's insane the amount of money they're throwing at this thing. But you know what? The infrastructure program is an investment. So I'm all for it. That's not just money out the window. We need to upgrade the bridges and roads and pipelines in the United States. And guess what? It's going to mean a lot more copper. Well, copper, we got the whole electrification that's going on. The average Tesla car takes like 180 pounds of copper per car. And it's not just Tesla. 
Everyone's getting in on the electric game. It's GM, it's Ford, it's Chevy, it's Volkswagen, it's Mercedes, Volvo, et cetera. There's going to be so many electric cars. And it's not just cars. It'll be electric buses, electric trucks, electric planes, electric trains. So the amount of copper demand is going to go through the roof at the same time that supplies around the world are coming down. So guess what? We're going to see gold prices going up. We're going to see silver prices going up. We're going to see copper and base metal prices going up. And this sector is really going to rip the second half of this year going into 2022, 2023. I'm telling you, we're probably, in my opinion, third, maximum fourth inning of a nine inning ball game that's probably going into overtime. So your subscribers got to stay long. And, you know, the big gains, in my opinion, are still to come. Absolutely. I agree. And I just want to encourage you again, as I did in a previous mono monologue about uh, interviewing management. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. I know Ed because I shot him an email and uh, they were sponsoring my show for a year. I believe in the company U.S. Gold Corp. And actually one of the uh, resource stocks in my portfolio now that is doing the best ultimately came uh, via Ed. He was an investor in that company long before me. These are the connections you can make if you're willing to come across right, put in the effort. And I just uh, wish you the best of success and hope that you are successful. And Ed, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Bill. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. 
If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.